and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew it, drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, that thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now let's pray together. Our Heavenly Fathers, I bow in your presence this morning. I want to thank you for the safety on the highway. I want to thank you for keeping these folks safe so they could arrive this morning to hear the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've blessed Brother Lee and Brother Don and this church. Thank you for the, the remembrances I have of last year. But this is a different time segment. I pray that in this time period, we shall experience the miracles that will manifest your glory. I know there is no greater miracle than the miracle of the new birth. I pray that the new birth can come to some soul this week so we can see a manifestation of your glory. Yet, our Father, I realize that there are many other miracles that we need to experience. We need the miracle operation of sanctification. We need the fruit of the Spirit operating in us, produced in us, cultivated by the Spirit of God. I pray that this morning that we'll see a miracle that manifested forth thy glory, that in this we can see thy dignity, we can see thy deity, we can see the manifestation and reality of God. Lord, I want to thank you that we see something of you in this that we could not have seen without it. Let that be true within us, that as the water in these earthen vessels could be a type of the Holy Spirit, I pray that the treasure we have in our earthen vessels shall manifest a radiance and glory that people can see the real riches rather than the earthly. Lord, give us something that's eternal today and not something that's temporary. I pray that this morning we'll sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Loose this tongue and illuminate my mind and let me speak forth as thus saith the Lord. And I'll be very careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now let me for a few minutes expound for you the scriptural revelation. Now I think it goes without saying the purpose of this was to manifest the Lord's glory. And... His disciples believed upon him, which is the, always the result or the end result of manifesting God's glory. If you remember the book of Peter, the scripture says that through the trials of the faith of the children of God, it will result in the salvation of souls. The little word that it, your is in italics there in Peter. It does not mean that the trying of your faith shall result in the salvation of your soul, but in the salvation of others. Here is a miracle that had the end result purpose of believing upon the Lord. So verse 11 said that it manifested the Lord's glory and the disciples believed. It received the desired result as a result of our Lord's manifestation. Now when Jesus came into Cana of Galilee, Mary was invited to the marriage feast. Jesus and the disciples were called, the scripture said, and they came. When they came, a problem arose. Their supply of wine was exhausted. They ran out of what they had. Then the scripture said they wanted wine. When they realized they didn't have any, Mary found the household servants and said to the servants, Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Now, that will have a lot of, of purpose for us in a few minutes when we get to the spiritual relativity. But here the revelation that Mary gives to these servants is whatever Jesus says, do it. Just do whatever he says. So Jesus said, fill these water pots with water. After they filled the water pots with water, Jesus said, Now take your pot, draw out. They drew out the water, which had turned into wine. Something miraculous had happened in the water pot. They didn't know what. It was a mystery. There's always a mysterious element in the operation of God. No matter where God operates or how God operates, 
There's always that which you cannot figure out, that which you cannot understand. You have to accept. If, if God just worked according to my standard, he wouldn't be God. I like it when he blows my mind and he works in such a fashion where it's mysterious. Now, that's not mysticism. That's a mystery. Some folks don't know the difference in mysticism and a mystery. Some of who are always wanting atmospheric phenomenons and manifestations and something spooky. Now, hey, don't give me the spooky things. I don't want any mysterious things. Give me a mystery. Give me a divine manifestation of God where I can see his hand. Well, I can understand it. Let me believe it. Oh, don't let me doubt the operation of the Lord. So here, Mary said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Well, Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. The Bible said they filled them up to the brim. They filled them completely full. Then he said, draw out, give to the governor of the feast. He did. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom said, all other bridegrooms, all other weddings, they always save the worst till the last. But you have saved the best to the last. In other words, this is the best there is. Now, something you'll realize in a few minutes. Whatever Jesus does, it's the best. Amen. I mean, it's going to be good. It's going to be better than what you had. It's going to be better than what you ever knew about. But they didn't know. You know, the governor didn't know where it came from. He didn't know what had happened. He just knew it was good wine. Well, Jesus had turned the water into wine. The servants had borne the wine to the governor. The little verse said, <clears throat> but the servants, but the servants, look, look at verse number nine, but the servants which drew the water knew, they knew where it came from. They knew what had happened. They knew who did The governor didn't know. The bridegroom didn't know. The guests didn't know. The only ones who knew were the servants. After this recognition, Verse 11, which is the verse I started with a moment ago. This beginning miracle did Jesus came in Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now that's the scriptural revelation. Can't beat that. that. That's good. If that's all you see, if that's all you hear, if that's all you know, you won't get a thing out of that passage. You'll look at it and say, well, that just has something to do with those disciples. Let me show you something. Uh, let me show you the spiritual side of this. What is hidden underneath? I use the phrase expose the spiritual relativity. You don't see the spiritual relativity unless the Holy Ghost shows it to you. The scripture is inspired of God, the scripture said. The Holy Spirit wrote it. He inspired it. He must interpret it. So he's the divine interpreter. Behind every miracle, the principles operate. Holy Ghost revival operates on this principle. The church operates on this principle. If you want glory in your life, you've got to understand this principle. This first miracle enhouses the divine principles of the operation of deity. There are truths here that we need to learn. If you don't learn them in the beginning, you'll have to learn them as you go along. Then you miss out on all in between. I'd rather get in on the beginning, get in on all in between, and end up with it rather than end up and say, I missed it. That's like going fishing. Don't you have to go fishing and have someone say they bit yesterday and wish you'd been there yesterday. Well, I want to get in on the beginning of the truths of God, find out how he operates in the beginning so I don't end up in the end and say, well, I wish I'd got in in the beginning. That's like wishing I had been fishing back over there at the beginning. I want to find the beginning of miracles. There are principles in this beginning of miracles that operated all through Jesus' ministry, especially for the disciples. If you were to be a disciple, if you are to be a servant, then you need, you need these principles. We will illustrate these servants in a few minutes. Now, something you've got to realize. When you were saved, God made you a son. But you make yourself a servant. Now, I don't know that you've got, got that from the teaching yet of the scripture. But, see, Jesus said, I call you no more servants. But I call you friends. Yet the book of Revelation says his servants shall serve him. And Paul said, I am a servant of the church. I'm a servant of Christ. He uses the word bond slave. Bond slave. A bond slave of the Old Testament always made himself the bond slave. At the time of liberty, when slaves were set free, 
If a, a slave who was free became a bond slave, he said to his master, I don't want to be free. I want to serve you the rest of my life. I love my master. That was one of the requirements. I love my wife. I love my family. I give up all rights and privileges. It was a love relationship in which the bond slave said to the master, I love you so much that I don't want anybody else and I don't want anything else. From this day on, I'm known as yours. That's what you do. You've got to make yourself that servant. God makes you a son, but you humble yourself. And yield yourself and become a servant. That's what Christ did in the book of Philippians, by the way. Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says that Jesus was God. It said he was equal with God. But thought it not a thing of robbery to be equal with God. To hold on to it means that he gave up all the expressions of deity. Of being known as the son of God. And took on the form of a servant. To be known as a servant. <coughs> And in all that the Son of God was, he was God, very God, yet he humbled himself and became a servant. Now when you see that, it, it says to, to us, you are a son of God, you are a child of God, but you need to humble yourself and take on the form of a servant. Don't exalt yourself as a son, but humble yourself as a servant, and he will exalt you. That's what it meant. After Christ had humbled himself, the scripture said, Wherefore God had highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now what he did, he humbled himself as a servant, and God exalted him. Now if you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Oh, God makes us a son, but I enjoy humbling myself before the Lord Jesus and saying, I'm just an old bond slave. You say, but why in the world would you want to be a bond slave? Just like these servants here in a few minutes, they're going to get in on some things the rest of them didn't get in on. Whew, I like that. <laughs> I'd, I'd have them run away with that. I have to watch that, Brother Lee. Oh, if, if, if you see, the servants are going to get in on some things that nobody else is going to get in on. They're going to have to excuse me a minute. <laughs> Listen, folks, I, I love to get in on the things of God now. I mean, I can't help it. I just can't help it. I, I can remember when I was an athlete, and, and, and playing ball was the most important thing in the world, and I, and I got excited about playing ball, but this thing is serving God's better than, better than any ball game I've ever been in. Amen. And, and, and when I get in on, on the things he's in on, if I can ever just find where he is and I can get in on where he is, there's an excitement about it and a thrill about it. I can't wait till he does it again. And that's what happens here. There's some things in here for me. And, I, and I'm finding the secret behind these things, exposing them. I don't know it all, but well, what little bit I'm learning, I, it's just blessing me and thrilling me and excites me that, that I don't need to exalt myself and lift myself up as the Son of God. I need to, to lower myself and make myself of no reputation and declare myself as a servant. Oh, it didn't take away from his deity and he made himself a servant. Oh, it just showed the greatness of God. And it doesn't take away from you when you humble yourself and serve others. Oh, it makes you greater in the eyes of God because it's obedience. All right, now let's look at the spiritual relativity of this. And we'll pick it up, not with these servants. I'll get to them in a few minutes. I mean, I mean that, that's me down there. You put yourself in there if you want to. I, when I read this, <coughs> I try to get down where, you know, where they are. Wherever they are, I, I, that's where I am when... When Daniel's in the den of lions, I'm in there with him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace, I'm in there with him. And when they cross the Jordan, I'm the lead priest stepping into the Jordan. I, wherever they are, that's where I am. That way I get whatever they receive. If there's anything in there, I get it. Uh, that's relative. See, that's relative. That's making yourself relative. You say, but you can't do that. Yes, I can. Same Holy Spirit that was in them lives in me. If he lives in me and he lived in them, and if he was in them when they stepped in the Jordan, why can't the same one who caused them to step in the Jordan who lives in me feel the same thing they felt? That's good. <laughs> Amen. That's good. That's the reason I can know how Daniel felt in the den of lions. Same one who lived in Daniel lives in me. And if he could let Daniel know how Daniel felt, he'd let me know how Daniel felt and how I feel. And when I'm reading about Daniel, Daniel couldn't even have fellowship because the same one lived in him when the den of lies lives in me. Whoo, glory to God, I can enjoy that. But there's something in here. 
now, excuse me here. I tell you, Brother Lee, it's just so good. See, it's what you're getting in on, folks. I mean, some of the things that God don't know what they're supposed to get in on. This thing of serving God's not bad. It's good. That's right. And God didn't save us and give us the worst. He saved us and gave us the best. And it's just like the wine that Jesus gave us. You'll see, it was the best. It wasn't the worst. He didn't save I mean, and give you the worst. He saved and gave you the best. The best there is. The best that Jesus has to offer. All right, now let's look, first of all, spiritually, at the exhausted supply. Now this exhausted supply, you look down in verse number 3. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now see, <clears throat> when you just look at that scripture, scripturally, you don't see the spiritual truth hidden behind the word wanted. It says, when they wanted wine. The little word wanted is a translation of a Greek word that's translated in two other places that you'll find most interesting. One is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The little word wanted is translated short. It's also the word translated over in Luke chapter 15. When the prodigal son had taken his inheritance, gone into the far country, wasted his substance on riotous living, the scripture says he began to be in want. Same word. He began to be in want. He began to be in need. What it means is he ran out of what he had. And they wanted wine. They have no wine, the mother of Jesus says. And the people had exhausted their supply. Now look at the spiritual side of that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They began to be in want. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. That's how he brings you to the knowledge of lostness. That's how he brings you to the knowledge of salvation. He lets you run out of what you have. Do you remember before you got saved, you ran out of everything you had. He lets you be in a state of want. He lets you be in a state of emptiness. By the way, this is what you call an emptying process. That carries on after you're saved. After you're saved, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to empty you so he can fill you. This is what he meant by the beatitude. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The feeling is good, but the, the hunger and thirst is as much operation of the Holy Spirit as the feeling is. Because you can't be filled unless you hunger. And you can't get hungry unless you get empty. And if you find somebody who's empty, you're barely candidate for getting filled. That's like eating. You know how well I like to eat, but almost as Brother Lee does. But I tell you what, if you ever find an empty fellow, you got a good candidate for filling. Isn't that, isn't that right? Amen. Well, don't you know after you're saved, you're not going to seek righteousness, right living, separation, dedication, sanctification, unless you get hungry. And hunger is an eating process. After you were saved, you thought, glory to God, I'll be full the rest of my life. No, you're never going to be so full, but what you're going to get empty. And one day you're going to be full, and then you're going to start an emptying process. And when we get too satisfied with what we have, he has to take it away so he can give us something else better. And he has to take away the material and the physical sometimes so he can give us the spiritual. And then he has to give us wisdom enough for the spirit enough that spiritual blessings are better than the physical. Because we have our priorities all backward. We think it's house and car and land and all this, and God has to take away house and car and land. But some, some folks are giving the spiritual riches to make them satisfied with something that he, he wants rather than what they want. And God has an intent process. Well, here... They began to be in want. I see that in my salvation, but not only my salvation, I see that in my sanctification. I also see that in my service. Oh, listen, if he didn't let me get empty in service, I wouldn't seek the power of the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't spend time praying and preparing. I wouldn't spend hours every day in, in the study getting right with God and, and get my mind tuned up and get my heart tuned up with God. Oh, if he didn't let me get empty to where I cried out, God, I don't have any wine. I don't have anything to give those folks out there. I got people out there who need something, Lord, and I don't have anything to give them. Oh, what a place, Brother Don, to get to. 
is when you don't have anything to give them. I mean, God loves preachers who, who don't have anything. <laughs> it amazes me how God operates. You know, some folks think they've got all the talent and ability in the world. As long as you think that he can't use you, you won't ever get in on the things of God. Because you've got too many resources, and he'll have to spend his time depleting you. He'll have to spend his time emptying you. And you'll have to have an exhausted supply. Boy, I tell you what, I wish I could remember what I'm preaching to you. I preach, but it sure is hard to remember. See, I don't like those engine processes. I, I, I don't like it when he works in my heart and in my life, and he drives me up drying a pot shirt, you know. I, I hate when my heart gets like an, uh, a hot Sahara desert and I'm so dead and I'm so dry and I said, dear God, I hadn't got any wine. He said, I don't want to plant it that way. Mm-hmm. What I love about this is that Jesus came in on the scene before the needle rose. Yeah. Amen. Oh, I really love that song, He Came to Me. Oh, He Came to Me before I could go to Him. But he came to me, so I'd run out of what I had. He knew I was going to run out of what I had, so he's going to be there to give me something. You folks get that? (laughs) Even after you're saved, say what? Oh, you never have an ending experience unless he's there producing it with a supply to take the place of what he's in. He doesn't take away anything from me, but what if you give me something better? Oh, but we murmur and we complain and we stew when we begin to be in want. That's the reason I need that lesson. A spiritual lesson. You read it the Old Testament, it's full of it. Read it in the New Testament, it's full of it. All through the wilderness wandering, they had no water. They had no food. They cried out. Instead of, instead of crying to God and believing God and trusting God, they murmur and they complain and they stewed and said, better had we dealt in this wilderness. When they came to Cadiz Barnea, they said, better had we died in the wilderness and made them a captain to go back to Egypt. God just let them experience exhaustion. He let them experience emptiness so that he could become the supplier of their need. So our God is in the business of creating needs to supply that always amazes me. I, I love it when God lets me know he's there before my need arises. No need arises, but what he's already there to supply it when the time comes. But many times he has to let me run out of what I got before I'll turn to him. Why is it we always turn to the Lord last? Well, we do. I don't know why we do, but we always do. So here they begin to be in want. That's the spiritual relativity. Now that's easy to say. I mean, that's a... That's that's what I said, that's glorious here, that's exposing the spiritual reality. But let me ask you a question about the third one. What about experiencing that spiritual reality? How do you like it when you have an empty process? How do you like it when he's taking away your material possession? How do you like it when he's he's afflicting you physically so that you get your trust in him rather than in man? And and when you run out of what you have, and especially us preachers, boy, we always run out. We're We're... we're the emptiest bunch you ever saw. <laughs> Took me a while to understand. God always works on us emptying us if we're so full of ourselves and full of everything. He has to let us run out. And there once in a while we thought we could do such a good job, so he says, okay, go ahead and have it. And then can, we can get out there and flop down on our faces. That's the nearest nothing. Crawl back to the motel room and say, dear God, please forgive me of that mess I made. I just, I mean, I, I got to have an exhausted supply of everything once in a while in order to have what he had. Oh, what a spiritual truth, what a spiritual lesson, what a spiritual relativity. They begin to be in want. They have no wine. Thank God for the times when the master has come in on the scene and my exhausted supply was there. Everything I had had run out and I didn't have anything whatsoever. Now, let's look at this emphatic command. I like this command. Verse number five, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now this requires two things. Always this principle is for us, submission and obedience. Submission and obedience. But now let, 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 let me show you the joy of Bible study. 
There's a little word that's used here that you wouldn't even notice the magnitude of. It, this is like a, we say dynamite comes in a small package. It's like these pills you take. I remember when I got sick in 1979 and uh, I went to the doctor. And my doctor said, Charles, if you don't slow down, you won't live three more years. He said I didn't have a heart attack, but I had a heart warning. And uh, he said, I want you to go home. I want you to rest. I don't want you to read your Bible. Don't you re read a newspaper. I don't want you to do a thing. So I just want you to go to bed and stay there. And he said, I'm going to give you these little pills. And uh, he said, they'll help you to rest. I told him that. Little tube pills about this big. And they were small. I mean, you put one in your hand. You thought, great. they big as I am, six foot five, that little pill. It's not going to affect me at all. I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I took one of those little things and knocked me out over the way. Every day, all I do sleep. Dynamite comes in little packages. There's a little word here. That's the key to this whole business. Whatsoever he says, and you do it, the little word do. I don't miss this word do. I'm going to give you the translation of it. Boy, it's translated several ways in the New Testament. But if you don't get all the translations here, you won't appreciate it. You won't appreciate what they did. <clears throat> For instance, what caused the serpents to fill the water pots to the brim? Did they do that of their own choice? Or did they do that by commandment? The translation, number one, of that word for do is fulfill. It means fill it to the full. They were carrying out the command of the Lord. But it's also the translation of the word for commit. In other words, they had to commit themselves to whatever Jesus said before they knew what Jesus said. You'll never know the will of God till you commit to the will of God before you know the will of God. Amen. Did you know you got to do the will of God to know the will of God? Now, what is the will of God? Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the will of God, to present your bodies. But he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, if you're going to know the good and accept the perfect will of God, you've got to do the will of God, which is to present your body to whatever the will of God is. Well, here Jesus' mother says, whatsoever he says to you, you commit yourself to it. So they committed themselves to the whatsoever before they knew what the whatsoever was. Do you know how we operate in this realm? My sister is 20 years older than I am. And in, what's, in some ways, my sister seems like my aunt. And my niece, who's the same age I am, seems like my sister. And my nephew, one of my nephews, is two years younger than us. When we were children, we learned we could use Steve. Now, Steve was a little boy. You know, we, we learned he could get from my parents when we couldn't. So we'd say, Steve... We want you to do something for us. And all he said, okay, tell me what it is. We tell him, where you going? One day, <coughs> you, you can't go to the well once too often. We uh, <laughs> said, uh, Steve, <coughs> he took off. And I mean, his mom wore him out. My sister just tore him up. Later on in the day, we said, Steve, we want you to do something for us. Now, all the times before, every time before, he'd always say, okay. But this time he said, you tell me what it is, and I'll tell you what not, I'll do it. <laughs> now, that's human nature. But let me say to you very carefully, you'll never know the will of God with that attitude. He doesn't show you the will of God to let you determine whether or not you'll do it. You determine whether or not you'll do it before he shows it to you. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. But you've got to commit to it before you'll know it. That's the reason he called Abraham, and Abraham went out not knowing whether he went. What difference did it make? Where he went, the whatsoever and the whosoever and the wheresoever was incidental because he committed himself to the one who called him. Glory to God, he's good. Amen. <laughs> if I just commit to it, whatever, Lord, it doesn't make any difference. 
This is what Phil's mission feels with preachers and missionaries. They don't say, Lord, you want me in Africa? No. The Lord says, I want you. And the person says, I volunteer. And then says, where? All of us bargain with him. Lord, tell me what you want me to do. And I tell you, well, not I'll do it. No, you're not going to ever get in on it that way. you got to commit to it. Give yourself to it. But, oh, listen, that's not only. It means to a point. But I, I like this. This little word, do, is also the translation of a, two or three words here put together. It means without delay. He said, you let that be your number one priority. When Mary said to those household servants, said, whatsoever he said unto you, she was setting an attitude in their minds. For them to commit to Jesus, to whatever Jesus said, not only to commit to him, but to do it without delay, without hindrance, without hurting, without anything standing in the way. But I, boy, you know, one, one of the definitions of this word is, it, is found, it, it means to lighten the shield. I was, I was fascinated when I studied this word. To lighten the ship. You know, you may have to throw some things overboard before you'll do whatever you see. The reason some folks can never serve God, they're not willing to give up some things and throw away some things. I found this to be true. If I wait on you folks to serve God, I won't serve God. But if I go ahead, I'll get in whether you ever get in. Do you see that? But you can get in whether anybody else does or not. It's always a principle. If you're going to get in on the things of God, you're going to have to lighten your ship of worldly things and everything that he says. You're going to have to do whatever he says in this book. Oh, you can get in. But you'll have to lighten the ship to do it. But you say, preacher, if I did that, that'd be terrible. This little word do, and this is fascinating too. It's whole strange words in this definition, but same word. I mean, same Greek word. Where Paul said, "None of these things move me." That whole phrase, "None of these things move me." That little word do. In other words, the servants were unmoved by whatever he said. Oh, what an attitude! Lord, I commit myself to you to do whatever you want done. And whatever it is, won't move me a bit. In other words, whatever I have to go away, that won't move me, upset me. Whatever you want me to do, that won't move me and upset me. That won't bother me. Oh, as Paul was saying, I know prison waits me in Rome. He said, I know shackles wait me in Rome, but none of these things move me. He said, that's all right, I'm willing to die for the Lord Jesus. But one more translation of the word do is the word for gain. Oh, they knew they was going to gain, not, not lose. You don't lose, ladies and gentlemen, by committing yourself to him who knows all things. You don't lose. You gain. Yet the world says if you have to lighten the ship, you lose. No, you only lighten the ship of what he commands. You only throw away what he instructs. And thanks be to God, he's never told me anything but what it was for my good. Now, that's a principle. That's a principle. Theirs happens to be water in the water pump. But what's yours? What's mine? What's God told us to do? What's he told you to do? What's he commanded you to do? When you read the word of God, find what his will is. Are you going to do his will? Are you going to commit to it? Are you going to lighten the ship, the hindrances, the things that stand in the way that keep God from operating in you and performing the miracles that manifest his glory? So many children of God won't get in on the manifested glory because they won't do whatever he says. But if he says it in the book or he says it by the Holy Ghost in your heart, that's the principle of the water. Oh, here it was the water turned into wine, but to us it's just a manifestation of obedience. It's whatever he says. But before we know what he says, there must be submission and there must be obedience. So here we have the spiritual relativity. All right. <clears throat> now, number three, I want you to see the earthen vessels. 
First the exhausted supply, then the emphatic command, now these earthen vessels. Now to do this, I'm going to have to deal with these servants. Verse 7 said, Jesus said, and then fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear, which is just obedience. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. All right, now let, let me stop right there, because I've already read this story before. But these servants are household servants. These are not the disciples. It's not Peter, James, and John. These are the household slaves. They're a part of the house where the bridegroom is, and they're part uh, of the servants under the governor. These are just household slaves. Unrecognized. Not guests at the wedding. Those who serve. Those who tend to water pots. Those who wait on tables. Waiters. Kind of like that word for minister. You know, deacon. All those kind of word. Ministers and servants and waiters is what basically we are. But I, I want to give you a thought and develop that thought with you along your service. Here's some nobodies used by somebody to bless everybody. Now these servants were nobodies. I mean in the eyes of people just slaves. The somebody is the Lord Jesus. And everybody, those at, at the, the wedding. Well, now I'm going I'm to bring them down to us here a minute. But Jesus told his servants, there's a bunch of nobodies. There's a bunch of nobodies. He said, I want you. I'm going to get a picture. He said, I want you. It amazes me who he uses. He told me to look at nobody. He didn't think somebody that stuck on themselves, in other words. He didn't think somebody who, who got a position of a servant, who got that right attitude. Oh, if he could just find someone with the right attitude, with a servant attitude, if he'd find someone who's committed to him, if he'd find someone who's lighting the ship, if he'd find someone who fills it all the way up to the brim, does exactly what he says, how he says it. Oh, when you do what he says and acts of obedience and do it exactly like he says, you're going to get in on some things. One thing I love about a revival meeting, you never, who, never know who he's going to use. I've seen him take a nobody in church, a man, woman, boy, or girl, and use that person in obedience and break that whole meeting open. Oh, why? Obedience and submission. <coughs> submission and obedience. Oh, when we submit and obey, do what he said. Oh, you get in on the glory. Well, here these servants are, a bunch of nobodies, just servants, waiting on everybody else. And the Lord comes along. And says to these nobodies, I want to take you. I, I choose you to manifest my glory. I'm going to take you and let you get in some things. The rest of them I'm going to get in on. So he said, fill these water pots with water. So he, they filled them with, with water. Jesus said, now draw it out. I had no problem with them. Remember, they already committed. If it had been us, you know what we'd have done? Especially for us Baptists. You know what us Baptists would have said? <laughs> we'd have said, now, Lord. That's the best. That's the best. I hear him say, I don't know where you got this. He called the bridegroom sitting. All the other bridegrooms, they always give the best first, say the worst till the last, and said, this is the best. But the bridegroom said, I don't know where we got it. <laughs> Governor said, I don't know where we got it. The guest said, I don't know where we got it. And here comes a little servant back said, mm, I do, I do. That's what the scripture said. That's what it said, but the servants knew. Uh, I knew. I didn't see him coming back. That's the way I feel when I get in on the place of God. <laughs> 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 After reading, I'd rather be a servant than one of the guests. Yeah. Oh, praise God, because the servants get to get in on some things that the rest of them get to get in on. Oh, but you see, what else? The servants got to spend some time with Jesus. When he performed the miracle, that the rest of them did—that's what excites me. Oh, if I do what he says, if I do what he says and commit myself, I'm gonna get in on some things that some other folks are not gonna get in on, and they're not gonna know where it came from, but I will. 
Man, that's like that's like at times <clears throat> I get in a meeting, man, I run out. I'll get up and preach and nothing. I just run out. They don't have anything. Church doesn't have anything. They're empty, and I'm empty. We're all empty. And I've gone to the motel room and told God, him leave, may as well go home. I said, God, they're not interested. I'm not interested. I can't do anything. You can't do anything. And I get down and get like Ezekiel in the boneyard up there in Ezekiel 37. And God has to say, son of man, can these bones live? And I say, oh, God, you don't want to know this guy can have anything or not. And he says, but what about you? Well, you do what I tell you. So there in that motel room, I'll submit. There in the motel room lying on the floor. I was there. Now I said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And you say, what's that doing? That's making room for the water. Hey, that's making room for the water in the water pots. And water is always a symbol of the Holy Ghost. And wine is always a, the end result, which is joy. It's always a symbol of joy. But it's also the finished product of what he has to bless other people with. And I've seen times then, I'd stand up the next night and I'd preach and it wasn't the same place. Oh, where it'd been empty. All of a sudden I handed out some wine. I handed out some end result of submission and obedience. I handed out the end result and people got saved and people got right and then people walked out and said, glory to God, this is the best I've ever seen. What in the world this came from? They don't know, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Came in the motel room. When a little old nobody came to somebody and said, I've run out of what I got. I've got an exhausted supply. And I don't have anything. And Lord, that church doesn't have anything. Those people don't have anything. They don't have anything in their lives. Lord Jesus, I'll do whatever you say. And I'll submit and yield. And something mysterious and miraculous will happen in my heart. And he'll turn that Holy Ghost water into wine. And I'll pass it out the next night. And they'll say, boy, I don't know where he got that. And I know it's not me. But I'll take the water pot back to the motel. And I said, glory to God, Lord. Now I can get in on the camp. <laughs> See, the service not only spends some time with Jesus, that the rest of them don't. And the service not only get to give to them something that they don't know where they got it, but they get to take it home with them. Mm, the service gets to drink it when the rest of them are gone. <laughs> <laughs> glory to God, Brother Lee. Amen. I've seen some church folks who didn't want to get in either, so you have to wait till they go before the rest of them get on with some time. If you know what that means. <laughs> oh, I wish everybody would get in with the things of God. But I've spent so much time not knowing how to get in, not knowing what to do, trying to figure things out rather than submit and obey to yield, or oh, to lighten the ship, throw things out. Get rid of bad attitudes. Oh, of envy or jealousy or whatever's in me. Oh, all, all that's doing in confession is making room for the water. And if I make room for the Spirit of God, by confession, submission and obedience, He'll turn that water into wine. Oh, He'll produce the miracle. He'll let you get in on it. You'll be a part of it. And you'll get to serve it. you get to hand it out. Oh, I thrilled me about these was they carried the miracle in their hands. And they knew some things. The rest I didn't know. I don't know if they believed it anyway. You know, you just can't get folks to believe the miracles. But if you're in on it, it doesn't matter whether they believe it or not. Things real. Oh, what a servant. What a servant. Remember, this is not mysticism. This is that mysterious element. God operates in salvation, sanctification, and in service. But then, the explicit instructions have been carried out. Now, they get in on the glory. Let me tell you a story about a nobody. I was in North Carolina for a meeting. Church had been in many times, many times. 
I think I was there about 10, 12 times, somewhere along there. And they changed pastors about three, four, five times during all that time. But when they, when they, when the pastor leave, they schedule me for me and tell the new pastor who he was. We already got this evangelist coming. And the, evangelist, and the new pastor would have to take the evangelist when he came in, so that's how I got to keep going on. And uh, I went back there one time and it was a preacher by the name of Elmer Weeks. I could tell he had a speech in the temple. I didn't think much about it. You could understand every word he was saying. <clears throat> one day, while he was going to town, his wife, Rachel, and myself were sitting in the living room, and she, the preacher's wife said to me, I said, Brother Charles, I want to give you a testimony of my husband. He said, he was born without a paddock, which is the root of you now. She said, when we were married, you couldn't hardly understand anything you had to say whatsoever. So he finally got saved. After he was saved, some time went by, and he got across to me, the best he could, that God called him to preach. So one night, he went to see the preacher, and the preacher told him to know him, God hasn't called you to preach. You've made a mistake. He said, you go back home. See, that's a nobody. That's a nobody. But the pastor and the church and the people looked at him as though to say, you won't ever do anything. You can't. You can't even talk. One Sunday night, he came down with his wife and through his wife, got it through to the pastor. God called him to preach and the pastor told him at the altar, said, no. Elmer, you've made a mistake. God doesn't call people like you. He can't use anybody like you. Said, you go back to your people. He did it again. The pastor told him the same thing. Again he came. Finally this time, the pastor said, okay, I see you're going to worry me to death. You're just going to keep on. Okay. All right. A few weeks went by, and Elmer and his wife came to preach and said, preacher, my husband says he wants to preach. Pastor said, no, these people couldn't understand five words you've got to say. Nobody, in other words. He just on and on and on kept insisting he wanted to preach. So the pastor said, okay, to get you off my back, so to speak, I'll let you preach. But they won't understand five words you've got to say. Of course, he didn't just say, get you off my back. So Sunday night, I mean, people came. She said, Brother Charles, it was the worst thing. He said it was terrible. Sure enough, you couldn't understand five words he said. He said it was all like it was almost humiliating. At the end of that service, when it got through, there was a lady came down and told the pastor, said, I am a Presbyterian. So this is my first time I've ever been to this church. She said, I don't even know why I came. She said, I was passing by here, and God spoke to me and said, go to the service that tonight. But she said, I know of a specialist who specializes in patents. And said, uh, <clears throat> he's from a foreign country, and he only comes to this country two weeks a year. And said, this week is the first week of his two weeks. And she said, I'm sure as busy as he is, probably couldn't see him, but I'm going to tell you about him. And leave. But sure enough. Next day, Elmer and his wife went to see the family doctor. The family doctor said, yeah, I know him. They called him, and the man said, I don't even want to examine him. He said, you have him here Tuesday, and I'll do surgery on him. And that man put a pallet in his mouth. And when I was there in North Carolina, Elmer Weeks had not only finished college, but was going to seminary and a preacher in a Baptist church. There's a nobody that somebody was going to use to bless everybody. What qualifies you for the service of God, ladies and gentlemen, is being a nobody. And if you're a nobody, you're qualified for Jesus to use. Amen. Brother <clears throat> Don, come and lead us in a hymn. <clears throat> I don't know when I've ever heard a sermon that's blessed me like this one. Uh, he explained some things that I've felt for a long time, but never put them into words. <laughs> 
I tell you, that was fantastic. I wonder today, though, are you a nobody that needs to let Jesus Christ take over your life? Maybe you've done things on your own. Maybe, maybe that's just something you need to come and share with us this morning. I want us to stand and just sing a verse. Just one. That's all it needs for you to come. If you'll come and share with us whatever God's laid on your heart, if He's laid something on your heart, God will bless you for it. <coughs> will, you, will you come while we sing? Let's sing, Breathe on Me. It's hymn number 251. Mm-hmm. No, I need the words. Holy Spirit, breathe on me until my heart is clean.